Episode 2, recorded on September 4th, 2008, The Fertility of Penguins. Oh yeah. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bad Philosophy. Yes, that time I got it right, last time I said hello every welcome, but... This time I have... We should start starting with that every time. We should, hello every welcome, and... and There you go. One, two, bad philosophy. <laughs> um, but today, uh, today we're going to get started rather abruptly with a discussion of some breaking news. Google, in all of its benevolence and uh, omniscience and omnipotence and any other godlike if, words if it, I can it has attribute to, do with to the it, internet, yes, has mm-hmm. released a web browser. Why we don't know, and that's kind of what we're going to do for our weekly why, which is a new section I hope to make uh, re- regular on the show. why do you care? Why do I care? Well, because it's Google. And because we're nerds. And because we're nerds. So, yeah, basically... So, okay, this adds... A, um, okay, let's think. How many different applications does Google have now? Because this adds just another one to its oh, list. It's got a word processor it. now. It's got... I know it's got a photo gallery thing. It's got... What are they... Pro- I don't know. Oh, they've got, every, they've got any office equivalent... Yeah, they've got Office equivalent. Well, they've got Google uh, Docs. Windows. De- uh, or they've OG. got a Google Desktop stuff. Right, and then yeah. Casa. Yeah. Casa. They've got their. I know they've got There's word processors. Oh, the list. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so now they're adding an Internet. So now they're adding Internet Explorer. Well, it's actually, and this is this is one distinction that I wanted to make early on. Google Chrome is based on the WebKit interface, which is the same interface that Google's, uh, or not Google's, but Apple's Safari web browser is based on. It is. Yes, it's the, it's the same underlying code. Chrome is built to be a bridge between the cloud and the desktop. The cloud being, you know, the internet. All the mm-hmm. web services and web applications that we've kind of come, become used to, like Google Documents and Google Maps and... Uh, you know, web services that are fed from so a central place. Is so Google going to buy Twitter? Oh, I don't <laughs> think so, but their goal, I try. think, with Chrome is to sort of make the experience of using web applications more seamless. Because what Chrome does, unlike Firefox, is whenever you launch a web application using Chrome, which it actually lets you put shortcuts on your desktop to launch things like Google Maps which previously you would have to do with a web browser shortcut, mm-hmm. and it opens Mozilla, and it's kind of clunky. Right. With Chrome, that web application opens... That was the its... first time ever in the history of mankind that someone's used clunky and Mozilla in the same sentence. Well, yeah, usually they use that to refer to ID. Yeah, okay, so you used to open an ID. But anyway, so it opens in Chrome, and Chrome strips away all of the traditional web browsing interface elements, like the back button and the forward button and the URL thing, and just basically gives Google Maps its own window as if it were an application on your computer. Mm-hmm. So what Google's trying to do with Chrome, I think, is is really make using web applications more seamless for users because it's a bit cumbersome right now. People haven't gotten the idea that, well, there are web pages and then there are web applications. Mm-hmm. People still think of Google Maps as a web page, even though it really bears a little resemblance to a, a traditional website anymore. Right. Uh, but yeah, why do we need it? <laughs> why, well, why couldn't we just rebuild Firefox to do the same thing? Well, I would, I would venture to say that Firefox will be rebuilt. It's probably very soon, now that people have seen this, there will be, there will be an add-on for Firefox. Well, yeah, but that's just it. There has to be an add-on. That does that. See, but Google does. But you see, that's the beauty of Firefox, is that... Everything you can add on. I well, just I just the other day spent like, two hours looking through the different add-ons. It's it's customize my entire Firefox, and that looks really cool. Because me. now everything in Firefox is going to possibly compete with each other. It's not necessarily compatible. With Google doing this, if they're using their applications, their cloud, then they know what works and what doesn't. It's kind of like the whole Apple situation where they can create a browser where people have the seamless experience with the cloud applications so that users no longer have to think, well, do I want to use my desktop or the cloud? It's just natural for them to use their desktop as a way to get to the cloud. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. But uh, my question is, what about things that aren't Google? How well is it going to work with Flickr, let's say? You know, if you launch Flickr in Google Chrome, is it going to have the same seamless integration, or is it going to be just a a web browser? I have a good answer for you. It's going to depend 
on how much they pay Google to make it seamless. It's going to depend on how much Google pays to buy Flickr. It'll probably work, work in Flickr. Flickr will probably work. Twitter will probably work. All those other web apps will probably work. Those will probably be, as you consider, as you said, clunkier, much clunkier than the Google apps because, well, Google apps are Google. You know, Google's not going to have their stuff being shoddy. But, but here's my if they want them to be fast and seamless, they're probably going to have to pay for some sort of premium contract with Google or something. But here's my question. If Google wanted to do this, if they wanted to build an interface that worked great with their applications, bring their web applications to the desktop, why didn't they just build something akin to Google Talk or, you know, an actual desktop application that accessed these web apps? It didn't, you know, something that doesn't need to access the rest of the Internet. Here's why. Because people, what do people use on their computer more than anything? They check their mail and they browse the web. So if people use the web browser all the time, and this is something it, it you know is a dual purpose. It's got set of purposes, a way for them to get to the cloud applications, and they're going to naturally use that. It's a policy well, stuff. And also the notice that we made earlier that before we started recording of the EULA little <laughs> oh, yes. entry there that's going to let Google on the internet, but yeah, um, not Matt, that they don't already. Matt, own Matt, it. Matt, why don't you read that little? Go ahead, that read little, that little blurb again. Yeah, y'all keep yeah. talking. Let me find it. Okay. But no, it's, I, I really think that, that Google brought this out at an inopportune time. I mean, there's not a demand for it, I don't think. There isn't. There, there isn't. We have this perfectly good browser in Mozilla Firefox. It's can, still really recent. Firefox 3 is still Oh, fresh. Firefox recent came out a month ago. No, it came out over the summer. Yeah, yeah, and I had the beta since the beginning of spring. Right, so. but it, it's still fresh on people's minds. Come on, how many of y'all downloaded on download day? I did not. The you day, did not? The day no. after. The day I, after? Yeah, I, I screwed up the statistics. I'm I have, sorry. I have the certificate that says I helped make the uh, the world, or the Guinness World Record. I helped do that. That was one of my downloads. Did it actually make the record? It made the world record. Right? It was no, like it, it, 8 billion downloads in 24 was hours. It a, was it a Guinness <laughs> record though, that they broke? Yes, it was. Did they set a new record that was like, that they have to create the record? You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know if that broke one. It was not an official record before that. I think it was. I think it was. It was just with some other application. I forgot what it was. Yeah. Well, I, no, I, I personally did it. But here's the deal. Mozilla itself, though, not Maybe just Firefox yeah. 3, but Firefox has been out for a long time. Four, five, six years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's grown to be a very mature web browser and get a significant market share. Google's coming in with Chrome right now just seems to be sort of ad hoc, in my opinion. Uh, I think, I believe Safari is an inferior web browser, uh, simply because it does not support the breadth of Mm add-ons that are out there for Firefox. And Internet Explorer... We won't go there. We won't go there. Um, We'll just leave it at no. If you're still still using IE, God help you. Um, (laughs) I use IE for one thing and one thing only. Because it works really well with Windows Update. Exactly. Um, That's the only reason. But it's purely arbitrary that Microsoft made users use Internet Explorer for Windows Update. It would work perfectly well with Firefox. So much. I don't know if this annoys anyone else, but in IE, you go to double click on a word like if you have have www.google.com and you double click on Google, it highlights the whole thing, not just Google. Oh yes. That drives me nuts. I don't know if there's a way to change that. But that's that's why I use Firefox. Right. That right there. Why Google? Why? Um, I would venture to guess they probably have some internal reason for why they did it. But to the rest of us, it just looks kind of oh, why and and why now and why? <laughs> their first step in taking over the world. Yes, uh, and on the if, taking if, Micro- over if the Microsoft world. doesn't get there first, Google will do it. Well, Microsoft's failed. But uh, on Actually, that yeah, on that taking over the world note, Matt, do you have the, uh, the description of the EULA here? All right, so Nate Anderson over on Ars Technica writes, As noted by an attorney at the Tap Hive and various and sundry other sites, the Chrome EULA reads like a lot of Google's other EULAs. It requires users to give Google a perpetual, irrevocable, worldwide, royalty-free, non-exclusive license to reproduce, adapt, modify, translate, publish, publicly perform, publicly display, and distribute any content which you submit, post, or display on or through the services. Services can be anything. Their web browser or one of their applications. So 
It's, so in a month they will own the entire the rights to the entire internet. Essentially, yeah. If you browse everything on the internet through Chrome, Google has the rights to redistribute it royalty free. <laughs> so all of a sudden, for like I'm just throwing out a random. The Britannica.com website, where, you know, the whole encyclopedia that you have to pay for, you know, you get the little blurb for free, but then you have to pay more to get the full article. Yeah. All of a sudden, one, you know, person who has the subscription will view the entire thing through Chrome, and all of a sudden, Google has the entire Encyclopedia Britannica that they can publish for free. Now, granted, Google is not does not have access to your web browsing logs of Chrome. And even if they do have this in the EULA, obviously they won't have the ability to override decades of copyrights simply with one end-user license agreement. Because even though the users may be agreeing to this, the companies or the content owners in question will not have agreed to it. So I don't think it, there's going to be any sort of grand legal implications for this. And Google certainly will not own the Internet. But still, it's kind of scary. I mean, why does Google have to... Why does they... Why did they put it in there if uh, they do not intend to go through with something major? But like owning the internet. Well, this is not the first time they've had a problem with viewless before. Like, in further down the article, it talks about how they have problems with their Google documents and saying that they could potentially be shared across the world. And people are like, I don't want my fantasy football draft to be spread across the world. <laughs> well, I don't know. It might... Uh... It might help some people if you put a fake one up on there, and then your real one was <laughs> much better and, and only on your computer. But that that would be quite funny. Yes, we all know Google That's is. The question I have: Why put out like Google Documents? Why put that out when Open Office works just perfectly fine and great? Because Open Office is not a web application. Google, what do you need a web application for to because, type papers? Because Google is based on the web. They're yes. a cloud computing company. That's where they are going to earn their money. And so there's no yes, but still, what's the, why desktop. use Google Documents when you can use OpenOffice? Here's why. Um, I use Same the, with why use Chrome when you can use Mozilla. Well, I, I used... Here's the basic argument behind web applications and cloud computing. Over the summer, I worked at Radio Shack, and one of the things that they restricted on their uh, computers there at work was what you could install and run on the store computers. And for obvious reasons. I mean, you don't want anybody putting anything on those systems. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it was just an annoyance. The security was not terribly good, and it was easy to circumvent. But one of the things was they, would, um, they wouldn't allow you to install any kind of Office applications on the systems. So what I ended up doing whenever I had to you know, work on for instance, my personal journal or maybe an essay for a website or something like that while I was at work in my spare time, wink, wink, um, <laughs> was I would log into Google Documents and I would create a Word document on there, edit it completely through the Internet Explorer web browser that was installed on the machines, and when I came home, I would access it and download it onto my computer and edit it that way. So it was a way to, to share um, content. So it's a way... It's a, so it's a way for our, the employees of America to not work. Oh, uh, pretty much. Um, it's also a way for high schoolers to get out of doing work when they're in the library supposed to be doing a research project. <laughs> well, um, they already have what, more ways to do that. Than it is a way to circumvent a lot of ways. my question. Was there between cloud computing and web applications versus remote access to a different PC? Because in cloud computing, the data and the applications themselves are stored in the cloud, on a central server. You know, well, that's Google's, the same, that's the Google's same as server remote, room somewhere. Remote access to a PC, that's essentially a except service for accessing the server. Except, remote access is going back to one machine. And it's your machine only. You're the only person that has remote access to or that machine. You hope. Mm -hmm. However, with Google servers, they're managed by Google employees. You know, some poor sap in a ice-cold server room has to make sure that your documents stay online 24-7-365 without going down. Right. With your home computer, that may not be the case. Or you With may your have home to... computer, lightning strikes and you lose internet, and all of a sudden you can't remote desktop to it anymore. Exactly. Or you may be in, in somewhat of a network situation where you can't connect remotely back to your own system. So cloud computing is kind of a way to get around that. It's having your data and your files and your applications somewhere that you can access from any machine that can get online, which is pretty much every computer nowadays. Mm -hmm. So it's so, slightly so different. So Google's next move will be that they will produce thin client laptops that all they will have is a wireless card, a cell card, monitor, keyboard, mouse, and all of a sudden you can do anything you really want to practically do. Photos, documents, web browsing, 
uh, mail, all of that from your Google-certified thin client laptop that has 24 hours of battery life, uh, a screen <laughs> brighter than any, than any projector in the world, and only costs a lot less. So you're telling me no, 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 it's, not, it's not just Microsoft saying. jealous of Apple anymore. It's Google too. No, I, I think Google. Well, is, no, I'm saying no, true thin client. And not even like oh, your your thin client laptop may only have five gigs of, of you know that's a good number five or five or ten gigs of actual storage space, and on the it. rest of it will be on in the cloud. Correct. The rest of it will be in the cloud. Now, but here's the coup de grace: thumb, thumb drive that can access the internet. The here, what? Here, here's the coup de grace for this for this concept, David. It'll be free because Google will support it via advertising. Uh, the special, yes, part of your or screen. Or you can pay extra. I bet they'll have a version you can pay extra to get the non. Or at, yes. least, or at least your thin client won't have advertisements. No, I the, think the, yeah, web apps will still will. The web apps still will. But your actual thin client itself, your actual physical laptop that you will buy from Google, won't. I would venture to say that probably it will have some way of being ad-supported. Um, perhaps more brand names on the outside, or even a spot, a portion of your screen that is dedicated to Google AdSense-style advertising all the time, no matter what you're viewing on it at the moment. Um, That's depressing. It is rather depressing, and, and this kind of brings us around it's, to... Wait, 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 it's Google. They're not just going to do the old-fashioned, give you a box that always has other products. They'll have advertisers pop up from every random place you could possibly find. Instead of having the box, the box is easily blocked. No, Google has built an empire on being... Historically, they have not been annoying. No, they've not been annoying. They've, they've done content-based advertising, which, it, which analyzes exactly what you do um, and gives you advertisements that are relevant to your interests. So I don't think they'll degenerate to doing random advertising. I don't think they'll go that direction. Well, no, I didn't mean random. I meant content-based, but they won't just give a box that always has advertising. It'll show up in your applications in different ways, shapes, and forms. It'll be more subtle. Yeah, it'll be more subtle than just a corner of your screen that always has an advertisement in it. And that's a a scary concept, and it kind of brings us around to the uh, topic that we were sort of planning on doing for today's episode, which is uh, things for the betterment of mankind. I mean, we look at Google, and hey, this is a company that, they're over 10 years old now, started up in the 90s, they were one of the web companies that actually survived the first dot-com crash, and they've grown to become ubiquitous. Google search is number one by far. Um, we all use Gmail. Uh, we use a bunch of Google services on a regular basis. But uh, Google itself is becoming sort of like the, the giant, the benevolent giant that gives everything away for free and always does cool things and always seems to have the the betterment of society and the good of its users in mind. Wasn't but that Microsoft's first philosophy? First initial, like, way back when. So they say they're both trying to start, like, a communist country. Well, <laughs> world. Perhaps which, not which, is able, which is able to cop- copyright the Internet. In, inside of all that. And but once, think, once yeah. the government controls the Internet, they control everything. So we're, we're doomed. Well, essentially. <laughs> well, first they have to get us the thin clients. Google is mm-hmm. a private company still. They are a corporation. They are not owned by the government. They could but, be considered a government in one sense because they provide services for the public. They provide you know, regulation of, of industry in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they control information in a way that no company ever has been able to control information before. We've seen that with the censorship uh, situations in China where Google agreed to censor certain articles on their search within the Chinese domain at the request of the Chinese government. And as a result, unless you use proxying in China, there are certain websites that you will never be able to see, simply because they've been deemed uh, to be dissent, uh, to be politically radical by the Chinese government. Hmm. But Google cooperated with this, and, and so in a sense, Google has a control over the information that we see. How do we know that Google isn't manipulating things behind the scenes of their own accord? Or that perhaps they are manipulating things at the request of the United States government or other governments. And that just hasn't gotten out on the news yet. Google has a level of control that is, in some ways, scary. At the same time, they're providing all of these free, useful, really cool applications that we use all the time. But I'm curious, like, what do you all think of, of Google and, and what do you all think about the idea of a company 
doing things for the betterment of society, but having a ton of control at the same time. I guess that's always the fine line, is where's, but when are you doing things for the betterment of society, and when are you, are you doing things for the betterment of, essentially, your clientele or yourselves? Well, isn't it essentially impossible to do anything to actually help others? We talked about this in the first episode, because I was saying that anytime you actually, like, go to open the door for someone, it's because you're increasing your image as a gentleman. If you're a guy. Well, you know some people do it for that. It's it's about motivation. Or I mean. you're, you do it because it makes you feel better then. So there's no way you can ever help anyone else out without making yourself feel better if that's the cause. Either it's so, a selfish in a bad way or selfish in a good way. But either way, it's still a So anytime motivation. someone tries to help somebody, no matter what it is, it's never for the good, good of man. It's always for themselves. Well, in that case, we're all screwed. The, the man will fall, we'll all fall into chaos, everybody will die, and we'll, we'll, we will be dealing with total thermonuclear but, annihilation. No, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that... It, yes, that it, was a very long, forward <laughs> sentence. That was long. But I'm not saying that this is necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying that are we ever truly doing something completely for someone else? Are, are we ever completely disregarding ourselves in whatever we're involved with? Well, I think there's a, there's a level of selfishness in every idea. I mean... Think of the, the utilitarian way approach to life. You know, I do things for others because it benefits me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a utility to me to be nice, to be a gentleman, to open doors for people. Um, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Exactly. It's a, it's a give and take sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And Common it's, courtesy. It's a relatively good approach. Even though it has that selfish aspect, it results in a lot of what Which people would what consider saying. naturally good or absolutely good actions, mm-hmm. if there are such a thing. Um, in philosophy, there are very, very well, differing opinions over such a thing. But uh, <laughs> well, also you could say that yours isn't as selfish because if your if your ideals were totally selfish in, in that you hold doors open for people, you would punch them if they didn't thank you. You're like, hey, you didn't thank me. I'm being selfish okay. in doing this. You should thank me for. You should be on your knees, groveling before me, thanking me because, for holding that door open. Well, what if you thought about this? Or you're like. Oh, they didn't say thank you. Wow, that means I'm a little bit better than them because I opened the door for them. They didn't even say anything. I, I feel better about myself. You see what I'm saying? Because mm. there's so many that, ways. That, that's that. the other way around. It would make you feel below them because they didn't feel they didn't get off their high horse to thank you. It just depends on which way you look at the world. It does. Everyone has it's different glass half four happened exactly. You could go either way. Uh, I think it goes different percentages is, of the way though. Is Google trying to slowly take over the world by taking over the internets that it is, or is Google just trying to get their name out out louder so that they can get more advertising out to people, so that they can make more money for advertising from advertising, so that they can produce more web apps and stuff for the common person? Or are uh, they just lining their pockets? I think it's a little bit of both. I think there are probably competing philosophies within Google right now, because look at look at just the breadth of information they have Beyond the internet, Google Maps, uh, Google Earth, Google Sky, Google Street View, for crying out loud. I mean, that's driving creepy. around and taking pictures on street level of buildings, people, everything. Um, there's There was a lot of controversy over that when it, it first was, came out. Because, Especially know, the advertisements that they didn't cover up correctly, like the, the Microsoft Map View or whatever. They had a couple yes. of billboards that only got half covered up by their um, by their various policies of covering up the, those billboards, you know, they would black them out. They kind of failed at many of those. Yes, because there's just such a, a pro... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A large such an abundance of, of that out there. I mean, what, you know, Google is essentially indexing the world. <laughs> not wow, just that's a good way of thinking about Not it. just the physical world, but the world we live in as well. The world we live in, the physical world, in that, oh, look, they have pictures of quite literally pretty much almost the entire surface of the United States. It, Actually, they, they, they do. Cities. They do. And well, oh, the entire that, surface. Yeah, yes, the entire now. surface of the Earth they have pictures of. But an interesting ha- thing happened uh, recently during the Georgia conflict. When you tried to browse to South Ossetia, or actually even the country of Georgia itself, it was a black hole in Google Maps. You really? The country was there, the satellite views were there, but the satellite views only went to a certain resolution, and there were no streets. Really? There were no streets, no Google towns, blocked out Georgia nothing. from there. It was completely blocked. And 
I imagine this was so that the parties involved in the fighting would not be able to use Google Maps to strategize their attacks. Well, look, you see, this building is exactly... Hey, look, we can use Google Earth and the ruler. This building is exactly this far from that building, so if we know where that building is, we can just adjust this many degrees on our mortar, and we'll hit that building. Precisely. Or a little more involved with politics than we give them credit for. I think they're far more involved, because in a sense... You know, Google will run into situations like that where they have indexed things that are of utility to a certain part of the population. They've already had problems with, air quotes, accidentally, you know, caching uh, random documents and stuff off of CIA servers. Yes, that weren't protected by the proper permissions. <laughs> or, now, I would say that's the or CIA's they, you know, fault. Someone, maybe, maybe some CIA person accidentally... Went to Google first, and then went access to their secure server, and through the jumble of the cookies or something, they randomly got part of me. Put, cashed into Google. Yes. yes, Kevin. Yes, Kevin. He lives. Oh, it's horrible, man. You better get over here right now. Oh, well, are you on your way here, good sir? All right. All right, bye. Apologies. That was our intrepid partner, Kevin Saunders, or Jeff McKenzie, as he prefers to be known. Um, but yeah, so we, we were on the subject of um, Google's politics and how much do they really have and how much do they show and how much do they admit to have. Well, we have to remember that, that Google itself, like I said, is a private corporation, but it's composed of people that have political affiliations. I mean, oh, Google nice. employees are American citizens for the most part, and they, they probably have a significant international division as well. I'm not too keen on it. But we have to realize equal that... Equal opportunity. I'm sure they follow the equal opportunity acts. Yes, so oh, as long as you can code like five thousand lines of code a day, then you can work at Google. <laughs> yes, the the requirements to work there are quite stringent, but Google provides quite a few benefits to its employees. Oh yeah, arguably five star restaurants like free, like free. they they get five star restaurant food like free for lunch whenever they're there, dinner, you know, they're at that time. They have a gym for them. I know they have like a playroom with like pool tables and. Ping pong tables and stuff like that. That depends on who you are at Google. Like they're 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 not like they're average workers. They don't have cubicles. That was one of their work philosophies that they got rid of cubicles. Everyone's in like work groups of like five around a common table with just little half walls between you and your buddy's desk. So you can look up and see all of the people in your work group in your project group, <laughs> and that's kind of their new philosophy. That is an interesting stuff. point. Our corporate America is a bunch of individuals in their cubicles. Yes, but nobody be able to see the whole picture. It's corporately individual. Yes, but Google is trying to kind of break down the the traditional business models and employment models, and they Hallelujah, really are finally someone is. Then they really have done a lot of progressive things. Yeah. and it's but it still brings up the question: of for all their benevolence, is it to mask some kind of deeper agenda? Underlying <laughs> evil. Intended or unintended? Well, I would say yes. Yeah, intentional or unintentional. Those portable yeah, devices that you're talking about come out with a GPS in them. That's just that's a little creepy. Hey, no, that would that would be for their benefit because you see, then you click to your Google Maps and it says you're right here. Well, if I want to do that, I can use a third party device to do that. I yeah, don't, but I don't, see, I don't people want... people don't want third party devices anymore. Nowadays, people want everything in one. Why did you buy an iPhone? Because you can surf the web, check your email, instant message, all that gobbledygook, and listen to your music in one device. You could have five devices that would do all this for you. Mm. A I laptop, a laptop with a cell cards. card, laptop with a cell card, an, I, an iPod, mm -hmm. a cell phone. Well, yeah. there you go. So you could have four devices to do it, but you don't. You buy one. You because did. it does all of them at once. People have yeah. always been moving towards integration. And, and my big thing with integration is that nothing has ever really seemed to do it all right. Um, I have always been skeptical of the all-in-one devices, the Palm Trio when it first came out, or the... The, even the iPhone. But I mean, they, it, has, they it, has claim, a, it has a rain stick on it. How would, how would you not want a rain stick? Okay, that probably was made after. that. They probably thought of that only after the person made the third-party software that did the, what was it called, Mac... Um, Mac the, Saber. Mac Saber, yes. Well, the lightsaber fight that you could do with your MacBook. I'm so mad that the phone saver application... Did y'all ever see that on here? No. You have a phone saver on there also? There, there is a, a, the lightsaber on here. What can't it do? You oh, phone saver. Well, that's what we're Does it wipe your butt yeah. at the toilet also? I don't think I downloaded that application. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, Lu Lucas made them take it off 
because they wanted to give the rights to an actual company. And now, exactly. and now they've done the right thing. I mean, they, they talked about this on Twit. They've hired the folks that made the phone saver application, and they're going to get a full license from Star really? Wars that's to do good. it. That's good. And that's what... Uh, and the probably get better really sounds. And probably yeah, no, it sounds. It was, <laughs> I don't think sounds were, gr- were great, but they'll probably you get THX certified. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come for on, these speakers this is, on the iPhone. This is, okay. um, I, I was in Blockbuster, and a girl picked up magic. one of those plastic swords, you know, that like makes a sound when you shake it. Yeah. She starts hitting me with it, and she thinks it's real funny. And so I pull my phone out of my pocket, light up my phone saver, and it makes the, the lightsaber sound, and it starts buzzing, and I'm whacking her with it. And she just like drops her sword, and her mouth falls open. She's like... What did your phone just do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's an interesting thing. I mean, we're, we're in kind of that, that transition era where integrated devices are finally coming of age, where you can have something that does it all and does it all well. Because that was always the problem in the past, is you'd have a device that did a lot of things, but it didn't do anything as well as the individual device for each specific application. Exactly. exactly. I've I never liked... Wait. I can't wait <laughs> until... I can't wait until human brain and integration... Until we can jack into a device and have a little box, you know, that we wear on, that we wear like in our pocket. Or like you have a Palm Pilot in your pocket, but you can surf the web just walking around because you're jacked in, and you just think it, and you can go to websites, check your email, instantaneous communication. They're gonna have to have a lot thought. of bandwidth for that. Yeah, it's, no, it's, still, it's still text. It's, you're still doing text. And I'm it's pretty just, sure people, a lot more people. The will interface be. integration is now in your head. But people would be running into a lot of light poles, I think. <laughs> it depends on how well the integration is. Is it bringing up a giant box in your vision? Or is it just like... Maybe off to the side of your Yeah, vision. off to the vision. Heck, peripheral vision's not entirely useful anyway. Still, or you're walking along... Expands you, your vision. Yeah, uh, maybe expands your vision. Different. All of a sudden there's a Big box... Time. What the heck's going on in here? We're What's up, Jeff? Oh my god, it's Kevin. <laughs> We're talking about brain integration with devices and interfaces. And nope, also, I'm against and also, it. And also about Google. Uh, well, I'm for it. And I'm happy for you. You're wrong. We're also talking about. <laughs> I don't Google care what you think. We're also talking about Google taking over the world with its application. Yeah, not going to happen because Chrome's got a huge security flaw in it right now that they still haven't fixed. Bingo. Found it in the first 24 hours. Can you of being uninstall published. Chrome. I don't know. I didn't install Chrome. I'm I, not that stupid. <laughs> I did not either. I'm going to wait and see whatever what happens the first two weeks, and then then go install it. <laughs> but. Uh, Anyway, Kevin, now that, now that you're here, I want to go ahead and shift gears a little to uh, your most recent column in the Daily Star. Uh, what was that um, column called again? Who cares what you think? <laughs> what, what was Hack. the uh, What's the topic? Oh, yeah, I remember reading that. Yeah, yeah, the, the topic is the fertility of penguins. Ah, uh, yes! Oh. <laughs> you read that far, apparently. <laughs> it's good. You should listen or read or something. I could just read it into the podcast. I think that might be considered plagiarism, though. Well, if you, if you plagiarize yourself and give yourself credit for... Quoting yourself. Yeah, but I'm not sure if the DT owns my words or not. After yeah, I give you just hand it over your, your contract. We don't have a contract. That's what's great. Well, then they don't because it's your words. <laughs> yeah, theoretically. You, yeah. Did you sign your words to them? Forgiveness is easy. There you go. But so give us basically give us the gist of it. Uh, the gist of it is sharing opinions is pointless. To futile. Is that trail mix? Yes. <laughs> just sorry. <laughs> I'm easily distracted by shiny objects and trail mix. Um. But just to clarify, it's not the fertility. No, of futility of opi- of opinions. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Although I still like fertility of penguins. That's the next one. Actually, no. My next column has been officially titled um, "Shout Out to Sizzle." Um, oh. but that's not important right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> futility of opinions. Um, basically, whatever I have to think about something, whatever you have to think about something, don't really matter. It's what you do that counts. We can sit here and discuss and talk all day long, which is what we do in Bad Philosophy, what, what, mm-hmm. um, and have no actual impact on the world, which I'm okay with. Like, that doesn't bother me. I'm just making sure that fact is known to everybody. Ooh, cashews. Well, pass the raisin, will you? Raisins are just grapes that fail. Mm. Trail mix. It's the food of the philosophers. Whose trail mix is that anyway? Mine. That is would make a, a good title. Is a Coke machine around here or something? No. There is a water fountain, though. Where's that at? That way. <laughs> I'll be back. It's nice of you to stop by. I do what I can. No, so he does what he must because he can. So Let's go ahead and wait for him to get back. Mm. I need to get a Texas Tech key. That looks pretty spiffy. That looks pretty spiffy. You bought a key that, and then haven't cut it, and it was already moved. That's like not aftermarket, right? Mm. You bought the key, right. and then they cut it. Are you plagiarizing keys? 
No. <laughs> you also got bump keys? Bump keys are pretty cool. Oh, I want a bump key. Yeah, My sister actually found one. Ex- like, I want to like, make one. Like, get a Dremel tool and make one. Okay, yeah, see, wait, doing what? that is expensive. Wait, what? It's not expensive. It's time consuming. I'm sorry. A bump key is a new method. Google it. A bump key is... No, 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 no. YouTube it. Don't YouTube it. Google it. Um, but Google's trying to take over the world. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Dogpile it. <laughs> Dogpile is still around. Um, have a cool it. Cool it. Oh, <laughs> cool it. There you go. Um, no, bump keys are... Verbally describing it isn't going to work really well. But basically, it's a new method of breaking locks. Uh, that doesn't involve picking them. It's not um, new. It's been around forever. Well, new is in the past five years. Okay. Newly, newly used. Uh, lock, not, a been using bump kills for years, bump keys for years. However, um, it's only recently discovered by the public. Um, stuff Thanks like to that. YouTube. No, <laughs> not YouTube. That's totally how I found out about it. I'm happy for you. I found out about it through the internet, which is completely separate from oh. YouTube. <clears throat> okay. um, Continue sure. on then. <laughs> but basically, it is a key with, with set to what is called all zeros. So it is a very small number of bumps on it for e- or you know. Upraised things that will hit the pin. Right, and every valley is as deep as it can possibly yes, go. Yes, yes. Now, what you do is you you put it into the key, you cut off a little bit of the end of it, and you literally bump it, and it knocks the key, all the pins in the lock, up to their proper position, and you turn it using centrifugal force. Using centrifugal force, they bump them up. You turn it, lock over. Or you have pressure on the key. with it just pulled out a couple that's, of meters. That's so one way to do it, it, too. You've got pressure on the so you tap it. It bumps all the pins in the position. Key yeah. turns as soon as they're in the right position. The Where's thing the is, you have to have a key shape for the lock. So, like, if you're going to have an effective bump key, you have to have a bunch of them. So you have a key for every brand For every, lock. every type of lock. Like, this door lock doesn't exist. <laughs> um, so that's a bad example. We are not in a secure room. Um, you said it's a secure, secure room, Stephen. <laughs> well, here you go. I've got two keys that are both set keys. One of them is very different from the other. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's, it's actually the shape of the key, not the vertical up and down part. That's that's what it makes it a bump key, is having those set. Right. But the physical, you know, wiggly-waggly bits back and forth have to match Along the lock. The shaft shaft so if you, carry, like, yeah. if you carry about 10 keys around that are all zeroed out to bump keys, you can open just about yeah. 90% of the doors. Now, mind you, a lot of people realize these keys, these keys that Texas Tech likes to buy lots of, the reason they buy them is because there's like a million different com- combinations of those little ripples that go down the side of the shaft. That's why right. they do it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, and, and this is stupid, don't get me wrong, uh, if you're carrying around like 20 bump keys on you and the cops pull you over for whatever reason, they will find a reason, it's their job. Um, and they say, hey, look, a bunch of bump keys. What are you breaking into? Um, <laughs> which, which is stupid, because unless you're committing a crime, it's not illegal, at least it shouldn't be, but who cares what I think. Exactly. I don't. Who cares what anyone thinks? I mean, opinions are just words floating through the air. Maybe you know, ruffles on a page. waves. But uh, I, you know, I have to make a response to oh, go for it. Go for it. I think uh, back as we do. I think opinions count quite a bit because opinions will affect what people do. Opinions can affect what people do because well, people. I don't think you say they will affect. That's that's a real strong blanket statement. If anything, it goes as deep as. It will affect how people think. Now, they may not change their mind drastically, but the fact that they read somebody's opinion will be added to their index of information. Even if they don't Next time mind, they don't think about just something. read something and becoming more resolute is this has the same effect. It's using your opinion to influence them in some way. Mm-hmm. I guess if you want to get into it, the thing the thing of it is is I guess it's a it's a matter of scientific or, or not. Opinions do not have a scientific, predictable response. Mm. If I tell person A that I think their hair is stupid, this gentleman here, for example, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, you can tell. You look like a beetle. That's all I'm saying. Um, the Beatles were funnier. The, the Beatles were better in the uh, '60s, um, but who cares what I think? Right. Um, I mean, at least my hair doesn't come down to my shoulders. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a good point. He's got a very good point. Touche. Because um, you think they just put they just publish you in the Daily Corridor. Yeah. Um, was I making a point? I yeah, I think so. Oh um, no, the fact that I, I say something horrible about somebody else, or that's my opinion, isn't going to have a predetermined response on them. You can't do that. Watch me having your haircut next week. That would be awesome if you did. <laughs> I could do it. I could I could just shave my whole head. Uh, actually, I can. I'm going to play. Um, and and that and and because of that, 
treating them is not going to be a beneficial system because the impact is unknown. So if you want to get something done, if you want to have something accomplished, do something. Don't talk about something. Don't say something. Uh, which is really the core of my argument, or core of my opinion in the article. It's said at some of the last line. My opinion is, don't say something, do something. Get out there, do something to change things if you don't like the way they are. If you do like the way they are, get out there and protect them with your life. Mm. So, sticks and stones, better than words, apparently, huh? Oh, yeah, whoever said the pen is mightier than the sword never went up against the guy with the sword. <laughs> That's actually a line that I deleted from the original uh, uh, column. Because it is plagiarized from something, isn't it? Uh, not to my knowledge, but um, sounds familiar. There's, there's, well, there's, I feel like I've heard that. There was one. I think it may have been Hitchhiker's Guide, where it's like the pen is mightier than the sword. Only if the uh, sword is very small and the pen is very sharp. Hmm. Um, that made, Jack, no, that was Terry Pratchett. Jack Bauer can kill somebody with a pen. Lots of people can kill someone with a pen. Chuck Norris killed Jack Bauer with a pen. But would you like to see a man kill a, somebody with a pen against a trained swordsman? Hmm. Like, like guy with pen. Gonna have problems. <laughs> well, it depends. If he can throw the pen hard enough, he can hit the. He can kill the guy with the sword before the sword guy even gets in range. Of course, I guess the guy with the sword. So throw the sword. Yeah, if, if we're gonna be throwing things, I would rather be throwing a sword than a pen. I've thrown pens at people. Not no. that effective. Phil no. David, you had me at depends. <laughs> I don't get it. That is to say that depends. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> if I had a pen, I would kill that you. That was right the now. worst blast I've ever heard. Oh, I don't have a pen in my pocket currently. I can't throw you one. Uh, I, got, I only have a mechanical pencil. I live. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not dead, and I got a free pen out of the deal. <laughs> Wait, what is, which one did I throw you? <laughs> yeah, that was that was my jail one. Hand like that. <laughs> so hey, I can't be held responsible for throwing if you throw pens at me. Actions. Well, actions, can Google be held responsible for the content they own now because you look at it? I don't know. It seems that actions do carry a lot more weight in modern society, don't they? In every society. Well, no, I wouldn't say every society. No, I mean, true. Every every's a strong word. It's it's true that uh, in the ancient world, in many cultures, words were far more powerful than deeds or actions. Are you talking about think about, it, think about it. You, you go you go up to you you stand in the middle of the street at one point. You look at a girl and say, "Oh my God, she's a witch!" And they burned her at the stake right then and there. Yes. Words, think about Shakespeare. Especially like, the words of certain people were considered much more weighty or influential than the words of others. Think about it, the words of one man right now could start total thermonuclear annihilation. Yeah. No so words. Words, words have an what words, are, what words, what man? Bring me the nuclear briefcase. <laughs> Bringing him <laughs> the nuclear briefcase it. doesn't do anything. Vladimir Putin said. Pushing the button bring does me, something. Bring me nuclear suitcase. What if button. his fingers are broken? Guess what? He says... Lieutenant, push the button for me. Somebody is still pushing the button. Yes, but he wouldn't the push the button. The action is what matters. He would not have pushed the button unless he had been ordered to with verbal words. So that means he has words no Orders are not Cause opinions. and reaction. Orders that reaction not would not have happened had that cause not been there. Orders are not opinions. Hmm. It's my opinion that we should be in a global nuclear war right now isn't going to put us in one. True. That's not my opinion. Well, I like don't have the power of voice to do that. Mm-hmm. But if Vladimir Putin comes out and says, it's my opinion that we should be in a nuclear war right now, some people might take it as an order or a strong suggestion. You know, people are idiots. I should have clarified that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe opinions have power. I'm not going to succeed that they do. But people don't have to give them power. The only, This is something I do say in the column. The only reason... Anyone ever said words have power is because somebody gave them power. The words themselves didn't create the power. The person saying it didn't create the power. The people who responded, the people who did, are the ones that gave words any power. And so I argue they had the power to begin with and did the entire time. Mm-hmm. True, that legitimately to push the button with or without the president telling him to push the button. That's mm-hmm. true. This was kind of the question in, um, what was it? Dr. Strangelove. Uh, I watched yes. the movie recently. Well, or How I Learned to Stop, stop Worrying and, and Love the Bomb. <laughs> Which Stanley Kubrick actually has a cameo in as a wheelchair-bound German. Rather interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah. But I actually have no idea what Stanley Kubrick looks like, so I wouldn't have recognized him anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of the, the issue in the movie. Is <laughs> one general decided that, hey, I'm going to take the fate of the world into my own hands and yeah. start nuclear war on my own. Well, that was, that was more a problem with the, with the system than with... I mean, yeah, the guy was crazy and he, and he killed everybody. Yeah. But the fact remained that there was a system in place whereby he could do that. Mm. 
what is what I see as the problem. Um, because, you know, the, the, in the scene, uh, in the movie, presidents played by oh, the Pink Panther. Excuse that's who played him. Uh, I, I can't remember his name. Peter yeah. Sellers. Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Sellers. He yes. plays the Pink Panther. Right. Um, the president, played by Peter Sellers, who also played two other parts in the movie, including Dr. Strange Love. Um, Stephen just yelled at me with mind bullets. Um, <laughs> bam, bam. Dr. Wait, wait, so I, words don't have any power. Mind, mind bullets have power because mind bullets don't even take a form of physical waves traveling through the air. I have a 45 caliber mind gun. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be shot with that. <laughs> just work. Mine's better for close oh, range. I have wow. a 12-gauge shotgun mine power. Dude, 12-gauge Short, 12 gauge short range is a relative term. I wouldn't want to be shot with a 12-gauge at any range. <laughs> yeah, you can survive it, but especially if they're mine pellets. <laughs> yeah, especially the if they're the fired by Dick Cheney. Oh! oh wow, that's an outdated joke. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we're making jokes about Bill Clinton and Mona Lewinsky. Mana? Mona Lewinsky. Mana? Mona Lewinsky. <laughs> Make him like a mana. <sighs> Every welcome. Every so, welcome. <laughs> so, we come so. back to every welcome after going through Google, Google Chrome, um, Google Web Apps, Google <laughs> taking over the world with a new thin client, which, if it actually happens, you, know, you heard it Wait, here a thin me. client? Yeah, I think Google's going to come out with a thin client. What is a thin client? Well, GPS. a laptop that doesn't actually have any brains. All it does is connect to the internet and use their web apps. They tried to do that a while ago called NC's Network Computers. Really? Yeah, it, it didn't work. Yet? No, it didn't work in the past. You it can't say it didn't work yet. Now they've got just about every single web app that you could use in common, that you would use on a normal, on a normal day. You can check your email. You can write your you can write your books. You can write your papers. Whatever. Storage, man. Can, storage. It's all storage. It's all in the cloud. Seven you, all, you need, all you need now. is about ten gigs on your computer. But see, that's that's something on your computer. You Correct. just said nothing on your computer. Oh, sorry. I'm in. I'm in, <laughs> your, I'm in your computer as a glorified thumb drive that can surf the internet. Eh, theoretically, I don't. I don't. I. I as a person. We'll always want more and more storage space. Well, yeah. yeah I, but we, <laughs> I want see, my but stuff we are in my room, pocket. We are exactly. a room of nerds. Well, that's obvious. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? I, I did not realize this. The non-nerds, yeah, the people yourself. that enough is just fine, all the people who love shopping at Walmart, who love low-quality, low-cost... Mm. Yeah, but See, the first time somebody's web storage goes down, and it will happen. I don't care if you're Google. It has happened quite a bit, actually. When, when that happens, bad things will happen. Media support will go away. Well, this is something I talked about, in, or I will talk about in my article tomorrow, is mobile me. I mean, we've seen something like that happen just recently. Mobile me rolled out. It wasn't ready. It had all kinds of problems. Some people lost their entire collection of email. During mm-hmm. the transition to mobile me. Not just their web-based email, all oh. of their email. Yeah. And uh, Apple had to pay some <laughs> hefty prices for that. I believe it. And you can't put a price tag on that. I mean, that no. is irreplaceable data. Mm-hmm. So there are risks for yeah. cloud computing, and I don't think anyone will ever fully trust a thin client, even if Google comes out with it, because... Can we trust Google completely? No! <laughs> I think Not it's highly beneficial. It'll be a great, useful tool, but it can't take the place of having data in your pocket that's your personal data. Well, you would. You can't, you can't you trust would. someone else in your entire life. But here's the whole debate over DRM, and, and it kind of goes back to the, the Google EULAs. Is the data on your computer even completely yours? If uh, you download a file, say, from iTunes, it doesn't have digital rights management anymore, but say you download an audiobook that does have DRM on it, it's well, on your computer. It's on your computer, but mm-hmm. Audible is dictating the terms by which you can use that yes. data. But that's um, because you're still giving them permission. As long as you're not giving some permission, I want to be able to have it with me. Well, if you don't give them permission, you don't get the data, per- period. Yeah. Then you just buy the CD and you get all the rights. Yeah, if you can get it that way. So the unfortunate yeah. thing is, a lot of the content that's available out there with digital rights management isn't available without DRMs legally. Yeah. So it, and we're it, looking for a legal solution, whether or not we have one yet. Well, of course. But do you, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Do you still own the full control rights for stuff on your own computer? And vice versa. Say you've got your email on a web application. Do you 
have control or ownership over that data, even though it's on Google servers? I would so say how yes. How many of y'all actually read the entire EULA? Uh, I never I read, I read any of the EULA. Yes. I have never read. I read. I read a EULA once. I read a Windows EULA once when I heard on online somewhere that hey, the Windows EULA lets them look at your computer anytime they want. I sat there for two and a half hours, read the entire damn EULA. It did not say it anywhere. Jeez. Have we defined EULA? We oh, end user, user license well, agreements. I, I, I realize, but it's... <laughs> but end user license agreements are more of a way for a company to say, hey, look, you agreed to this. We have a certain amount of control over how you use this software. Mm -hmm. Even though you bought it, you've installed it on your computer, you have the disk in front of you, and you're free to do whatever you want with it, yeah. we still control an aspect of it. Well, I'd like to see that you still have, we still have the ability... It just says... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so pretty much they're always saying, we have the ability that if you, if we find out that you do something that we don't like with our software, we can take it, we can turn it off. Hmm. You know, maybe if they, if they can actually get in. Then if well, if they built that into the software. Yeah, if they, if they built that in, uh, an off switch into the software. It's just where they an expiration on a trial period. Yeah, so that's, uh, a, maybe that's a sideways way on that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Kevin, you were Well, no, uh, I would love to see a EULA that said... It's yours, do what you want. I've seen those seven words, or six, it's yours, um, do what you want. Uh, six words. I've, I've seen a symbol. I've seen well, a symbol. Yeah, but there is that. But I would like to see like a real company yeah. just put their EULA that. Now, okay, so what's a real company? Uh, publicly traded. So, oh, so, <laughs> well, uh, that so all the companies run by people who really, all they really want is more money. See, the, everybody who runs a company wants more money. Except the fact that the publicly traded companies have just about the least incentive of anyone to do what you look like this. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I want to see them so do. So what would be their incentive to do that? Make people happy. Because oh. No, no. <laughs> Unintended consequences. It's all about that. That's a publicly traded. That's a that's a public thing that they would do. Mm -hmm. You you would see countless headlines. You know, six letter or six word EULA, um, all over the place about this sort of thing. And would it affect how their software works? How many times have it, has a EULA been pulled and used? Not that many. A few, yes, yeah. but not a lot. So that would make them good publicity, and good publicity gets you so a lot more money Google used than to doing be nothing. Like this. Google used to have similar things. They, they were a much more benevolent company in the past, it seems. But well, at now, one point their slogan was, don't be evil. I think that's gone. <laughs> I think it still is, but it's... Yeah, what is it? Uh, Forgiven values of evil. Yeah, <laughs> this is incredibly... but except we define what evil is because we control what you get when you we say <laughs> define colon evil in Google. Yes. <laughs> this is incredibly similar to the the music industry where an artist says, "Hey, we're going to release an album for free, even though we want to make money." They're releasing it for free because of the publicity. Nine Inch Nails just did this. Well, mm. artists don't make money on albums. Artists okay. don't. Well, no, I, I get that. You get what I'm saying? Yes, it, it's a matter of publicity. And, and being, you know, the first band to release an album for free. Mind you, Nine Inch Nails wasn't, Radiohead wasn't. Many, many people did that beforehand, but they were the first... Their main they were the first, quote-unquote, publicly traded band mm -hmm. to do so. Yeah. Um, not literally publicly traded, although that would be cool if you could buy stock in bands. <laughs> and then, like, have an effect that on the stock. That would be, like, that'd be like the most What's volatile stock ever. What's like, one guy, one, guy gets, one guy overdoses and your stock dies in one night. It's okay, like, you, you, you went to sleep early and missed the 10 o'clock news, and guess what? You missed the singer <laughs> died. Guess what? You wake up the next morning, you check your stock. Oh, they were going to release a new song, and he's dead. Wow. Like My $1,000 of stock just became zero. I like this uh, this whole rabbit trail. So how would a, uh, how would a public publicly traded, artist-based stock market work. Well, stock market or a particular band? Because the market's going to act, act differently. Let's say you've got the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, and the Bandak. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a title. <laughs> no, we we no. figure that out. Okay, the title's honest, already going to be The Fertility of Penguins. Oh, so. fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah. I accept that. Because <laughs> it's mine. Except it's yours. Hey, I came up with that. I know. I know. <laughs> um, no. Um, I mean, same way that they do everything. You have you have a CEO of the band, uh, board of directors, lead singer, or, or, or lead lead of the band, uh, board of directors being members, manager, um, maybe let the record label in on that. And so it's already structured for this to work. No, it is. Um, and right then, now, the record label sort of acts as the publicly yeah, traded part of the band. Which... which I'm not in favor of, so we'll, no. we'll take that back out. Um, and then you allow people to buy a stock. And the, that stock, stock that you sell funds things like new albums, 
new you know, recording studio time, stuff like that. When those things make money, you get a return on your investment. So as a stockholder in a certain band, would you get incentives like discounts on concert tickets, free albums, that sort of thing? I think or? that would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do it lots of different ways. Then, of course, you have, you have stakeholder meetings where, you know, if you own, uh, you, know, you know, vote on the direction of the band, you know. Uh, the CEO or one of the board members proposes that instead of being a punk rock band, we're just a heavy metal country. Um, <laughs> I hope that's a real genre because it would be awesome. Um, I was going to say, say, so that means that a band could, could, could be there, right? There could be yeah. some you know, heavy metal band. And then the Polka Society of America decides to buy up all the stock, go to the board meeting and say, guess what? You are now going to make Polka. How awesome would that be? <laughs> that would be interesting, but all of a sudden the band members are going, what the hell? We just lost all power over what direction they were going to Okay, sorry, we sold all the power for... That's true of any public interest. They didn't have to sell that stock to those people. And I, I realize, you know, well, I know nothing about the stock market. I should say that to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it would make sense to me that the, the company could have or could exert control on who buys and sells stock. Hmm. I don't see a problem with that from a moral well, or legal standpoint. That is, that's... That's not acceptable in the stock market, I don't think. I mean, the idea that you're publicly traded means anybody, anybody can, buy, can and buy it and yeah. sell it. Well, don't sell 51%. <laughs> Have the board keep 51% of the stock, you win. <laughs> voting sure. control. Keep voting control. There's lots of companies that do that. They make sure they keep voting control of the stock. Now, how would it... I'm wondering, how would it be different from fan club memberships? So, like, you, you buy a fan club membership to a certain band, and you do. You get... Discounts on concert tickets. You get free albums sometimes. I mean, what because well, you're be... making money. Because when the band makes money as a, as a corporation, when their stuff is profitable, you get part of that. Your stock goes up, <laughs> just like in a real stock Ex- market. Except that you only get little two dollar doodads instead of actually getting stock payback from the the amount of money that the well, you band could, makes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, that's I mean, how do people make money in the stock market? Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. I mean, it's a simple concept. You you get inside scoops on, hey, this company's going to be coming out with this product soon, and you bet, hey, they're going to make a lot of money off of that once it comes out. So their stock is going to go up, and you kind of... Then you get arrested for insider trading. Well, <laughs> insider trading goes on at many different levels, and it's only mm-hmm. kind of the insider-insider trading that ever gets prosecuted, but the person people that are actually always looking for tips. Um that's how people make money on the stock market. Yeah. They look for, for patterns in, in how money flows and works. And but there's a difference still between patterns and tips. So why, so why couldn't that work with bands? There's well, more than one band. It, it very well could work with bands, but the problem is with the stock market, you have a set number of companies that are all trading. So you have a set number of people that you have to keep track of. Now, with bands, would you make it a closed system where you have to go public or do an IPO or something where... Possibly, I, like I said, I don't know the information well enough to to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, I think how, you could. My basic point is, how would you keep the market from being saturated with every band in existence, every MySpace page with a guitar? Market I mean, would take care of that themselves. People don't want to buy it; they won't. People, you don't you don't sell any stock, such as life. That's that's how the free market works. Yeah, people buy what they want and don't buy what they don't want. True. So it's capitalism in the music industry. Hey, what a great idea. What a great combination. And, and I think it, it could be a, an incredible benefit to bands, too, because it would throw off the shackles of the record companies. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you're being publicly traded, that's a lot of revenue that just wouldn't be there otherwise. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of a great way to, to get out there and, and be making money. Now, obviously, bands would not abandon their traditional sources of revenue, concerts, merchandise, albums, kind of. And they have um, no reason to. Right. I think it could work. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it could. I don't think it will happen, but no. I think it could work. Because I think a lot of bands probably wouldn't subscribe to the whole free market capitalism approach to things. <laughs> Not everyone is as smart as me. But the, the bands are more likely to do that than uh, several other areas in society today. Mm. Because they're traditionally you know, trying to break away from DRM and record labels. A lot of them. That's the route that they're headed. So... It makes sense that they would be looking for something new, and then be it would be easier for them to jump on the bandwagon. Then, no pun intended. We <laughs> 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 got a lot bandwagon. That hurts. That was terrible, Stephen. 
I'm full of it today. <laughs> full of something, that's for sure. <laughs> and I think it's bad philosophy. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I guess on that spurious note, we'll bring things to a conclusion. Thank you, panelists, for being here once again. Um, Kevin, you arrived late, but you were jammed as always. Better late than ever. Yeah. yeah. Stuff happens. It does indeed. Matt. <laughs> you and your iPhone came in handy once again. Um, you have an iPhone? It's been part of the program this time. Just yeah. listen to the episode that you missed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, David? My name still isn't on the website. <laughs> <laughs> and my bio is not yet. exist. We'll make sure that changes soon. Let's listen, let's listen to that rain stick one more time. People have issues. I feel so peaceful now. Okay, can we get away from this rain stick now? <laughs> just, just turn off the computer. Alright, bye everybody! <laughs>